Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Good to be here with you. I, uh, I, and I mean that. It is good to be here. And it's good to be here with you. Nice to see you all this morning. Um, yeah, so uh, last night around 9 o'clock, <laughs> the call comes in. And I have to tell you that Josh had big plans for today. <laughs> he must have been pretty disappointed because he had a lot of things that he, he had put together that, that uh, I just can't step in. I, you know, I can't be Josh any more than he can be me or you can be you, uh, me or vice versa or whatever, right? But so, uh, and <clears throat> so, but uh, we certainly wanted to move forward this morning. And um, um, uh, so this will be the first time in my life that I've preached from somebody else's notes. I've never done that before. Uh, I've never preached anybody else's sermon before, and I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go, but we'll see. Good morning, church family. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> oh, boy. No, it's, uh, it's good. It's all good. We're going to... Um, we're going to... Uh, be doing a few things a little different this morning as we move into the Lord's Table observance. But uh, I just, uh, you know, I appreciate Alex walking us through the, the um, plans for, um, for Easter, kind of beginning today to um, f- focus on the Last Supper. And we're, we've got things a little bit uh, out of order in a sense because today's the first Sunday of the month and that's when we usually celebrate the Lord's Table and we thought, well, let's go ahead with that and we'll focus on the Lord's Table. And then next week, we're uh, going to be talking about the Triumphal Entry, which, uh, which is Palm Sunday, next Sunday. And uh, it's all part of, as Alex mentioned, the Passion Week. And uh, maybe you're aware of this and maybe you're not, but the word passion, if you went back three or 400 years in uh, English language, history, the word passion means or meant suffering. And that's why this is referred to as the Passion Week, the last uh, week of Jesus' life prior to his crucifixion, leading up to his death and resurrection there. And uh, so next Sunday today, we're going to be, we're going to be, our focus is going to be on the Last Supper. Next Sunday, we're going to be focusing on the uh, triumphal entry, uh, uh, Jesus uh, riding into Jerusalem, remember the, the cult, uh, that had never been rid, uh, ridden, the palm branches and, and everyone shouting uh, Hosanna. And so next Sunday, the plan is uh, for me to uh, be speaking uh, with you about uh, expectation versus reality. Um, and then, uh, you know, as we move into the, the uh, narrative of the Passion Week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, we, you know, we see Jesus uh, cleansing the temple, cursing the fig tree, and uh, Mary, uh, uh, the woman named Mary, one of the Marys, anointing Jesus with the expensive perfume. You remember that? And uh, you might recall how Judas got upset. Do you remember that? He said, this should have been sold so the proceeds could be given to the poor. And then John, in John 12, he says, he didn't say that because he was concerned for the poor. 
He said it because he was a thief. John chapter 12, you can read it. He said it because he was a thief and he was in charge of the money bag and he used to help himself. That, that little description gives us a lot of insight into this man, Judas. We're going to actually be thinking a little bit more about that as we progress through uh, the narrative, some of the, some of the narrative today, because Judas was in that upper room the night that Jesus broke bread with his disciples, the night that he was betrayed by Judas. Judas was there. And then, uh, of course, we're going to be as, uh, as Alex mentioned, we're going to be uh, having some uh, uh, time Good Friday evening at 6 o'clock. Um, and uh, Joel and Ange are going to be sharing some testimony with us that evening. Uh, I'm, I'm, real, I'm really looking forward to that. And we're going to be observing the Lord's table that evening as well. And then, of course, a, a Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. The plan is to have a, a, an Easter brunch. So... Yeah, I'd, yeah. Be in prayer. Be in prayer about that. Be- <laughs> no, you're just you're just the one that's excited about everything, April. We love you for that. We really do. Yeah, we really do. No, it's it's good. It's really good. Now, as I mentioned today, we are going to be observing the Lord's Day. We're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, you probably noticed. Uh, you might have noticed. There's two tables up here with uh, communion elements on them. There's one back in the corner there one in that corner over there, and there's two at the back there. So that's six tables spread around the outside peripheral of the room. And at the end of the, of the message time, uh, which shouldn't be too long from now, um, we're going to be... Uh, <laughs> we're gonna, I'll, I'll explain to you at that time um, what we're going to do. Um, but after uh, I share this, uh, this, some thoughts on, on the scriptures this morning, uh, and we pray together... The folks that are joining us online, uh, we have a, a special video that Alex has prepared for them to lead them through uh, the Lord's table observance. And then we here will be remembering the Lord around his table as he's instructed us to do at that time. Um, so let's, um, let's uh, look at some scriptures this morning. Uh, these scriptures are scriptures that, uh, that Josh had uh, chosen as he tried to piece together some of the narrative uh, from the different uh, gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, the writers of the four, the four uh, gospel, uh, what we refer to as the four gospels, um, all had a different kind of perspective on things, uh, writing out of personal experience and testimony that they've had collected from others. Uh, and one of the things that becomes obvious is that the gospel accounts are not written in, written in a strict chronological order. And so uh, it's not that they didn't care about uh, chronology or the, or the sequence of events, but rather there are uh, different authors focused on different things. And so as a result, uh, we, it's not easy to say this is the exact order that everything happened in. But as you read through the different accounts, you're able to p- put some pieces together. And so that's what uh, Josh has done in preparing for this morning, starting with Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be projecting some uh, of these scriptures this morning on the screen for you. But I certainly encourage you, if you have your Bible or your uh, Bible app in front of you, uh, to, be, to be looking uh, these up. But we're going to start in Luke 22, the first six verses, and we're going to read there together first. And, but let me just uh, pray with you one more time. Would you do that? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. 
And Lord, we know that whether it's Josh or me or anybody else, that, that you are the one that ultimately matter. And this is about you. And this is about you, Jesus. And we worship you. And we are thankful for your word today. And we're thankful for your um, body that you gave, your blood that you shed. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give and your Holy Spirit whom you have sent and who is now even here with us as we observe the Lord's table together and as we think through some of these wonderful, wonderful truths together. Lord, bless your word to our heart, we pray. Be our teacher today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, reading from the English Standard Version. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. History of the Passover, you have to go to the Old Testament all the way back to the second book, book of Exodus, and you can read there how the, the Passover was actually the final, uh, uh, the tenth and final plague that God sent to deliver Israel out of Egypt, and the Passover was the Passover of the death angel uh, where, uh, that God used because Pharaoh refused to let Israel go, and he forced God he took God on, if you will, and God said, well, you will let my people go because I'm going to deliver them. And, and uh, there was great uh, weeping that night in all the houses of all, throughout Egypt for the death of the firstborn uh, in each house, except for in the Israelites, uh, those who had the blood of the lamb on their door mantle, you you can go back and read through that. And then as you come up in the New Testament and John the Baptist is there baptizing people in the Jordan River and Jesus walks onto the, onto the plain there, the riverbank, and John looks and he says to uh, probably Philip and Andrew and some of those uh, people who were uh, John's disciples at the time, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament Passover, we had the, the, the lamb without blemish and without spot, whose blood was shed in order to bring salvation to the Israelite nation. And the nation was born out of slavery in Egypt for, by means of the, of the Passover, the blood of the lamb. And in the New Testament, of course, coming into the Lord's table, the Last Supper, all extremely important. But anyways, I, I am digressing because we can't go through the whole Old Testament here this morning. But I hope you're familiar with it. Uh, it says, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is connected to the Passover, which is called the Passover, uh, and the chief, uh, verse 2, and the chief priests and the, and the scribes were seeking how to put to death, put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Um, they weren't putting Jesus to death because they feared the people. They were trying to figure out how they could put Jesus to death because they were afraid of the people, because Jesus was popular with the people, the common people. Scripture says the common people heard him gladly. But the chief priests and those in authority, they had something to lose. And then it says in verse 3, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief uh, priests and officers, who might betray him to them, how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So um, he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. 
uh, over in uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15, it says the words of uh, Judas there. says, Judas said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him, this is Matthew 26, 15, uh, 30 pieces of silver, which would have been the price, the, the common price for a slave in Jesus' day. Um, so Judas sold Jesus for the price of a common slave. Uh, he sold his own soul, didn't he? Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13, continuing in Luke. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John. Peter and John would have been the very uh, two disciples who were closer to Jesus uh, than any of the others. Um, they, uh, well, we won't go into all the reasons for that, but they were, they were, uh, they were very close to Jesus in his uh, most intimate circle. Um, and uh, Jesus sent Peter and John and said, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. It's interesting that in Mark's uh, gospel account, uh, it reads that, that Jesus said where, uh, to them, say, where is my guest room? Uh, which is an interesting choice of words there. Um, let's keep, uh, keep on going here. Uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, verses, or sorry, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. Uh, it says, when the hour came, he inclined at table and the apostles with him. Um, this is probably when the foot, the foot washing would have taken place, John chapter 13. We're going to go to John chapter 13 in a bit, but uh, I want to stay in Luke for a few moments more. But you remember when Jesus washed the, the disciples' feet and Peter said, uh, Lord, do you wash my feet? You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part, part in me. And, of course, Peter, in his enthusiasm, said, okay, well, don't just wash my feet. Give me an entire bath. And Jesus said, no, you don't need an entire bath. You've already been made clean, uh, but you need to let me wash your feet. And there's all kinds of interesting uh, uh, sense there, feet representing our walk with the Lord. You know, those who know him are cleansed, but we still need uh, to uh, confess our sins daily. Uh, as we walk with the Lord. And uh, so all that's kind of wrapped up in there. But, but, uh, but Simon Peter, don't you just love Peter? One of the 12. We're talking and thinking about the 12 today. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12. Simon Peter was one of the 12. And, and, and we get to know these, these men some by reading their story. As we read the story of Jesus, their story is part of his story. And I don't know if you know this or not. I think you do. I hope you do. But when we read scripture, we are encouraged to relate to the characters of scripture. 
we are encouraged because it's how we learn. We put ourselves in their shoes or, or we put ourselves in their sandals, if you will. And we, and we ask ourselves the question, what would, would it be like to have been in Peter's sandals? This is how Peter responded. How would I respond in a situation like that? If Jesus were say, to say that to me or if Jesus were to say uh, that he wanted to wash my feet, how would I respond? As we think about the, the, the uh, disciples gathered in the upper room that night, I really want for us to think about what it would be like to be there. Because I believe that all of Scripture, when we read through Scripture, it's very important that we, in order to apply it personally in our lives, we really need to put ourselves there. And you know, these men were not that different than you or I. The men and women in Scripture uh, were not different than you or I are in all the ways that matter most. And yes, we're separated by uh, many, many years and, and even millennia of, uh, of technolo technological advancement. Uh, but um, technological advancement does not change people. It changes our circumstances and it changes our, our situations, uh, but it does not change us. The things that are inside of us that make us who we are, uh, very, very much like the men and women that you read about in Scripture. And so I, as we think about Peter and John and Andrew and Judas and the other disciples, I want for us this morning to put ourselves in their sandals, put yourself in that upper room uh, when we get to that part of the story. Luke chapter 22, verse 15 says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I su suffer. Um, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is, take this, I'm sorry, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. We call it the Last Supper, right? This is the Last Supper of Jesus' uh, life uh, before he was crucified. Verse 19 says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you. So notice he's, he's, he's repeating that phrase, for you. This is for you. I body is for you. My, my blood is for you. Um, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in, in my blood. And then in verse 21, he says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they, verse 23, they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. You see that some of the dynamics, something that's going on in these people's hearts and in, in their lives. It's just, you know, I mean, imagine Jesus just has just come, come right out and said, the, person, the one who's going to betray me is sitting right here at this table right now. And they're all, well, put yourself in their sandals. What would you be thinking? Would you be thinking, wow, I hope it's not me? Or more likely, might you be thinking, I wonder who, which one of these guys it is. 
Maybe they even were thinking, well, I think it might be Thomas, you know. He's kind of a doter anyway, you know. Or maybe Thomas was thinking Peter because Peter just kind of was back and forth all over the place a lot of the time, right? A little bit unstable. Very friendly. Uh, type A personality for sure, but maybe it's Peter. And so they began to question one another, you know, wonder who it's going to be. But one of the biggest questions that has been debated for the last 2,000 years was whether or not Judas was still there at this point. It is not clear when Judas left the building. We know that at some point, we know he was there for the foot washing. There is some indication that he was there for the actual breaking of the bread and the, and the drinking of the cup that we, uh, that we refer to as the Lord's table. But there is some indication and there's strong, some pretty strong theological push to suggest that before it got to that part, uh, between the, some of the Passover type stuff and the actual, this new covenant stuff, that that, that, that was the point where G, Judas left the room. And I've read uh, both sides of the argument and, and all I can tell you is it's very hard to say for absolute sure whether Judas participated in the Lord's table part of that evening or not. But we do know that he was there. We know that Jesus washed his feet. We know that he was there for at least part of the meal. And we know that at one point, um, he left. And we're going to read about that right now. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 23 through 30. John chapter 13, verse 23. John, one of... Uh, his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Um, uh, I said John. John's name's not in the text there. Um, it says here, John 13. That's what I read. Speak, preach to somebody else's notes. But um, it says, one of his disciples, who, the one Jesus loved. Uh, we're reading in the gospel according to John. And um, it's, if you study it, it's pretty likely, almost certain, that John's talking about himself. Now, to refer to yourself as the one that Jesus loved might seem a little bit presumptuous to us, but John and Jesus did have a special relationship because we're able to ascertain from the scriptural record that John was the youngest of all the disciples. Uh, It's estimated that John was like in his mid to late teens, he was a really young, young, uh, young guy. Uh, some people think that uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted Mary into the Last Supper picture. Uh, other people think that, uh, that Mary is actually John, and the reason he looks like a woman is because he's so young. I don't know about Leonardo da Vinci, but I know that John was right next to Jesus that night because that was kind of his place. He leaned on Jesus' breast. We also know that Peter was right beside Jesus that night too uh, because the, 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 uh, the narrative indicates these things. But so here's John and he, he's, you know, he's, um, he's not like you and I. And, uh, and there's Peter there and, and so the two of them are really close to Jesus. So it says, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side actually a little kind of leaning against the Lord. And Simon Peter motioned to him, 
John, John, John. You know, Peter's pretty close to Jesus, but John seems to have a special place here. And he says, um, uh, of whom he was speaking, ask Jesus who he's talking about. In other words, ask Jesus who it is. Ask Jesus who it is that's going to betray him. Peter really wanted to know this. Now, we're, Peter was, was adamant, we're going to see in some of these passages we read on, that it wasn't him. You know, he's going to say something, he's going to say some real, make some real strong statements, adamant that's not him. But, but one of the things you have to wonder about, you know, is about people who protest, how, you know, methinkest me thou protest too much. Uh, Peter struggled with doubt. Peter could be, at times, could be super, super, super confident. But he also struggled with doubt. And part of the reason is because our confidence sometimes gets mixed up, doesn't it? You know, doubt and faith and confidence, you know, ourselves get in. We get, we get ourselves stuck in there. And it's, and it's like confident in what? Confident in who? And self-confidence and trust in Christ are not the same thing. And I think you all know that. I've got to get back to the text here, don't I? Uh, we're never going to get through here. Simon Peter motioned to him, that's to John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, verse 26 of John chapter 13, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. How many times, and if you read through it, it says this like a number of times. It, it says actually uh, in John chapter 13, verse 2, so this is in the early part of the chapter, that the, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. So, so Satan's working in, in Judas's life, Right? And, uh, but how many times did Judas have an opportunity to change the course of his life and change his, his attitude about Jesus, to change his attitude about money, change his attitude about a lot of things? The fact that Judas is even there in that room that night is, is just a, an amazing thing to me. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, that's Judas, he said to Judas, what, are you, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Because all these things are happening on the QT, right? Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, isn't it interesting that Judas was the treasurer? It's interesting, isn't it? And I don't say that to disparage treasurers, okay? But <laughs> Marion, if you're watching... We love you, and we trust you implicitly. But, but, I mean, of these 12 men who were so close to Jesus, you know, they, they, Judas had taken it upon himself uh, to be uh, in charge of the money bag. Interesting. Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. That's interesting, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, especially after what it said in John chapter 12 there. 
Um, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. Now, the morsel of bread could have been part of the Passover observance. It could have been part of the Lord's table observance. We're not really sure there, but it looks like it might have been part of the Passover observance. But it says, and after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And then it says, and it was night. Those are ominous words. It was late, very late, and it was probably very dark in more ways than one. And then over in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35, uh, Read those, we'll read those uh, six verses as well. Matthew 26, verse, tw- uh, sorry, Matthew 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So now the, the, the supper has ended and they've left the upper room, left the building, and they've gone out uh, to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane is there between uh, the, the city uh, walls and the, uh, the Mount of Olives. And uh, it says, Jesus said to them, you will fall away. You will all fall away. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter, here he is again. Almost always the first one to speak. Peter uh, says, uh, <laughs> though they all, they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Do you remember these lines? I, I know you've read this before, and I know you've thought some of this through and everything, you know. Though all, every single one of these other guys fall away, I will never fall away. <laughs> shows you a lot about Peter's personality. Remember the, in the boat with the storm? It's, Lord, if that's you to you, bid me come to you on the water. He was just that kind of guy. Love that guy. Do you see yourself at all in Peter? <laughs> Jesus said to him, verse 34, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me Three times. So, so Peter says, all these guys will fall away, but I will never fall away. Jesus said, all of you are going to fall away. Peter said, no, I'll never. All these guys will, but I never will. And Jesus looks right at Peter and says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Peter could be really slow on the uptake. Remember Matthew 16 where Jesus said, uh, who do men say that I am? And, and Jesus said, um, some people, or uh, the disciples said, well, some people say Elijah, some people say this and that. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter, first to speak, said you, and this, this time he was glowingly right in this, he said, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, you're right. And God has revealed that to you. Um, always the first to speak, sometimes, most of the time, sticking his foot in his mouth, like here. Peter said to him, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's a mouthful. But, then notice the last uh, six words. All the disciples said the same. In many ways, we are different. 
in many ways, we are the same. Luke chapter 22, um, verse 31, Jesus says these words to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Don't, this, is, so this is backing up here. So isn't, don't you love how Jesus um, said that to Peter? I, I really, I love that passage. But just prior to that, just prior to, uh, to uh, all of this, Luke records that the disciples were disputing. This is right in the context of the, of the Last Supper, that the, that the disciples uh, were having a discussion about who was going to be the greatest. Uh, I mean, just try to picture this. All of these things that we've been reading about here this morning and all of these, this dialogue going on and these things taking place in the hearts and lives of those around, close to Jesus and his interaction with them and everything. And, and in the context of, the, you know, of the, the, the breaking of the bread and all the time, he told them many, many times what was going to happen when they got to Jerusalem, like all of these things. And so, you know, and, and all of this is going on and they're having a discussion, Luke chapter 22, verse 24, about who was going to be greatest. A dispute, Luke 22, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, uh, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. And that seems to be, have been going, an ongoing discussion they had. So here's, you know, try to picture this. Here's Jesus all the way along the road for three years. And now this whole entire week that we call the Passion Week, Jesus is working with his disciples and he's talking to them about what's going to happen and, and who's going to do what and what it's going to be like and everything. And in the mix of all of that, here they are in the upper room and they're still having a conversation about themselves and which one of them were going to be the faithful ones who were never denied Jesus, and of them, who was going to be the greatest of all. It's really quite startling. We would never do anything like that, I'm sure. But maybe, maybe we would. Um, just a few more passages. John chapter... Uh, 14, you remember John chapter 14 where Jesus tells them, he's, he's, you know, I'm going away um, and you know where I'm going and you know the way and Thomas, one of the 12, we call him Doting Thomas, right? Kind of unfortunate because he wasn't the only one who doted. They all fell away. Um, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, but Thomas was there in the upper room that night. We know a little bit about him. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, Philip was there 
in the upper room. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? You still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? These are amazing passages. Uh, but this was Philip. And we don't know a lot about, about Philip. Um, we know uh, Philip is a Greek name. And when the Greeks wanted to talk to Jesus, uh, John chapter 12, it was Philip that they went to. So we're not sure all, a lot of, we don't know, we certainly don't know a lot about some of these, these uh, disciples, um, but, but these are interesting details. The point being that, you know, they're, they're all in a different, different, we're all different. We all have our, our, our personal struggles and our personal strengths and the, the factors that make up our lives, and yet in so many ways, we share those same struggles, struggles to believe, the struggles to get ourself off the throne of our lives and get God on the throne of our lives. The struggle not to focus on money and material possessions. The struggles to see the Father for how he, he truly is when we see Jesus, God in the flesh. John chapter 14, verse 22 20, uh, and 23, Judas, not Iscariot. That's right, there was another Judas. We don't know a lot about him. We know he, Mark uh, says, uh, Mark calls him Thaddeus, so he had more than one name, uh, which was common in those days. But he, he was the son of, of uh, James, not Iscariot. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will come to my, uh, keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Okay, I sh those are the scriptures that, that Josh had set out for us. And, um, and I think, you know, trying to, to, to kind of follow through and, and, and get a sense for his thoughts coming to this, I think he really wanted us this morning, that Josh wanted us to think about the different disciples, the different characters, the different people that were close to Jesus when in those last, especially in those last, this last three years of his life, especially in that last week of his life, and especially that evening when they gathered around the table for that last supper, for the breaking of bread. You know, the breaking of bread in Scripture is, uh, is, 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 is a, a really special time. It's a special thing. It's, it's a sign of mutual friendship and trust, of fellowship and of communion. There's something really, really special about it. And especially when we think about the Last Supper. Um, David, King David, wrote in Psalm 41, he said, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Who was there at the table that night? We don't know everyone that uh, was there. I read a lot of commentators that say there's no mention of any women in that room. That's not unusual that they could have been there regardless. Um, or maybe they weren't. Maybe it was just Jesus and the 12 that night. We don't know these things, but we know, we know some things. We know, we know Peter was there. 
put your foot in your mouth, Peter. We know uh, John was there, the young guy. We know Thomas, the one they called Doting Thomas. We know he was there. We know Philip was there. We know the other Judas was there. We know all of the 12 were there. We know that Judas Iscariot was there for at least most of the evening. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is for you. This is my body, which is for you. He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. And the point, and I, I, I think the point that, that was on Josh's heart as he prepared uh, these, uh, these notes is that the table is for you and for me. And because Jesus' body that he offered, he offered for us. His blood that he shed, he shed it for us. And you might, you might, be, you mean, you might be like Peter who would say, I will never deny you, Lord. Or you might be like, uh, like John, you know, the young, the young guy in the room, the guy that nobody tended to uh, pay a whole lot of attention to until he started to surprise them years later, but he's the only one who seemed to be left at the cross, only one of the 12 that was at the cross when Jesus hung there dying. And he said to Mary, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. Or maybe there's ways that you and I are like, like Judas. And I, I believe that God kept the door open for Judas right up till the very end. Considering that Jesus knew when he chose him, three years prior, that Judas was going to betray him. You know, there are traditions, and I, I, I don't want to, what time is it? I don't want to drag this out too long, but I do want to make the point. There are traditions that practice what they call fencing the table. I, I don't even know if, if most of you even know what that means, or if you've even heard it before. They say, guard, we need to guard the table. We need to guard the Lord's table. What it is, is a tradition within Christendom that nobody who isn't, doesn't know Jesus Christ personally as the Lord and Savior and are living a life that demonstrates that should be allowed to partake in the Lord's table observance. And so it's policed. And so the church and the job of the church and the job particularly of the elders and leaders of the church is to make sure that no one who is unworthy eats of the communion. I respect that tradition, but I think it comes at it from the wrong direction because here's why I think, here's what I, what I, what I think, I think, that the table fences itself. And I don't think we need to protect the table as much as we need to examine our hearts. Paul wrote this. He said, let a man examine himself and so let him eat. Let a man, or we would say let a woman, let a person examine themselves and so let them eat. Because there are serious consequences of eating and drinking of the Lord's table uh, in an unworthy manner. Paul goes all through that. But each one of us has to search our own hearts. And that, I think, comes strongly out of the narrative of the Last Supper, where all of these were unworthy. 
but they didn't need to examine their hearts. It says that the devil put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And you could see the turmoil in, in Judas's life going on as he fought through this, whether he was going to serve God or serve money, because Jesus said you can't do both. And so when we put ourselves in the upper room that night, when you put yourself at that table, what does God want us to do? He wants us to search our own hearts. You can't search the heart of the person beside you. I can't tell you whether you, you should participate in the Lord's table or not. You, you, only you can do that as you search your own heart and allow God to search your heart. And, and here's how you do that. Ask yourself the question, Am I willing to trust my life to Jesus? Am I willing to acknowledge the fact that he gave his body for me and he shed his blood for me? Am I willing to acknowledge the fact that I am a sinner, that I am unworthy, and that it's only because of him? Because the focus needs to be on him. He is the only one who is worthy. And to eat and drink of the Lord's table in a worthy manner is to acknowledge that he alone is worthy. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't even, you can be a total screw-up. Because sometimes I can be a total screw-up. But when I approach the Lord's table, when you approach the Lord's table, it's an honest confession of my sin and my need for his forgiveness and acknowledgement of the fact that my life is his. And my life belongs to him. I'm going to read you one line uh, from this, uh, in these notes here that I thought was, uh, that Josh wrote, and then we're going to pray together. Josh writes, and he's referring to uh, Judas, his deliberate act of betrayal proved that outward displays of loyalty mean nothing. True discipleship comes from the heart. Paul says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat. Do you belong to Jesus? That's all that matters at the end of the day. And you have to decide that for yourself. I can't say for you, and you can't say for me. But where are you at? When you put yourself at that table that night, where are you at with Christ? What's your relationship like with him? Will you stand with me uh, and pray? After I, close, after I close in prayer here, um, we're going to, uh, online, online folks, uh, there's a video that Alex has prepared, I mentioned, that's going to lead you through the Lord's table. Those of us here are going to, I just want to speak to you for just a moment uh, after uh, we pray together. Will you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for this wonderful crowd of people this morning that so many were able to come and be here together in your name. And it is in your name, Lord, it is all about you. And it's all for you, Lord. We come, we're here today to worship you. We're here today to acknowledge um, our sinfulness, our need, your great grace and forgiveness and love. And Lord, we just magnify your name today. We lift up the name of Jesus, the one who was willing to sacrifice yourself, offer your body, suffer and to die, shed your blood, give your life for us. 
Lord, we worship you. And we pray that as we remember the price that you paid around these uh, elements on these tables here today, Lord, that you would help us to examine our hearts and we might know that we belong to you and that you have done a work of grace and forgiveness in our hearts and we owe everything to you. We thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen.